0: My prayer life is vibrant, and it's active daily. I like to commune with God at nighttime. I get under those warm covers, and I kiss my wife goodnight, and I just start talking to God, just me and God, tell Him everything. <sighs> Makes me just sleepy just thinking about it. And there I am just laying in bed, laying out my request to Him, and He's hearing me, and I know that I'm in good company with <clears throat> Where was I? The efficiency of one's prayers are directly congruent to the position of one's body. Therefore, the legs should be saying, God, help me. Amen. Amen. <laughs> There are times that me and God do not talk, and that is not God's fault, that is mine. I just get so busy. And so when I do end up talking to God, I really just try to impress Him, give him a show, just to show him how much I love Him. So excuse me, will you, as I pray to God? Oh Heavenly Father, O oh, Heavenly Father, beseech me not unto thee, How now? Brown cow, oh, oh, thy soul is so dry, and if I can just catch a morsel of who you are, so verily, merrily, down the stream. God, I I just want to be used by you. God, I I want to be salt and light and light and salt and sight and loved and peppers and oregano and pepperoni and black olives and those little bit. when i like to get my prayer on uh there's some things i keep in mind um i think it's totally awesome that uh god is like santa claus and he wants to give you the things that you want therefore you need to keep lists of things my list currently has 745 prayer requests on them. So then when I go to the Lord in prayer, it looks a little something like this. I'll just pray real quick. Um, let's see. The Uno thing on my list is my mom. And so I'll pray for her now. Dear Heavenly Father, I lift up this sweet salt of the earth lady that you have blessed me with to be my mother. And I tell you thank you. And although I know that I'm called to respect her and I give her all due respect, there's also an issue of something she truly needs. And that is to stop a yapping. Lord, she yaps and she doesn't know how to stop yapping. So could you please make her mute just for a day? Nothing permanent. Don't hurt her. I love her. Just mute her. Take your big God remote and push mute on her channel. That would be great. Henceforth, I would go on and pray all seven hundred and forty-six things.
1: God, you are greater than anything this world has to offer. And I can't wait for you to come back and get us. But until that time comes, would you help me just to just to live my life day after day as if I'm just walking hand in hand with you? God, I, I have a lot of needs and I have a lot of wants. And sometimes I get those things confused. Help me to just trust you to meet my needs and be thankful when you give me those other things that I just want. God, I've blown it so many times today, and I'm sorry. Thank you for your forgiveness. I don't take it for granted. And God, as I start this day out, I'm just reminded that this world is filled with so many spiritual potholes. Please help me to walk in such a way where I won't stumble so much. And as I'm going through this day, God, Help me to live my life in such a way that would bring you glory and honor. May the life that I live be a life of worship to you. Amen.
2: So prayer, like the other holy habits we've been studying for these last six weeks, is not a magic formula it is not a quick fix. In fact, walking with God, journeying with God in what we call the holy wild, the place where he resides in his massiveness and his uncontrollableness, that God, we begin to understand as we spend time with him, is not someone to be summoned by incantations. Oh, Lord, I've repeated this scripture to you five times. Why haven't you arrived? that He is so massive that His solutions are way beyond the dimensions that we are aware of even now. That the study of these these holy habits is to make us very aware of who God is, even in our confusion and in our exasperation with Him. It's to help us to find a faith that cannot be shaken it's to move us along in life so that we can experience a love that that will not crumble even in our most difficult circumstances It is to bring us to the place that we can pray what we've been praying now for these last six weeks, a prayer by Soren Kierkegaard, who said this, and now, Lord, with your help I shall become myself. And the question we have today, as we're as we're coming to the conclusion of this series that we've discussed we'll be discussing on Sunday mornings, but not the not the ending of what you will deal with in the days to come. The question is this do we actually believe that God will answer that prayer right now, Lord, with your help I shall become myself? And and my answer to that is yes. Because prayer attacks the core issues. Pam and I were getting on a commuter plane once and and we were some of the first people in the small plane I took some of our overhead stuff and I'm putting, or luggage, put it in the overhead and I opened up the overhead bin and it was already full with the flight attendant stuff and with some airplane stuff. It's one of those they reserve for that. So I shut it. I turned over to the other side of the aisle and I was flipping it open to put, and putting our stuff in when this lady and this man walked in and the lady yelled at me. She said, what are you doing? She said, that's over our seats. Use the one over your seats. I said, well, this one's full and these really aren't assigned. And she said, it's not yours. I I said, well, and she said, what if I want to put my stuff there? What if I want to put my stuff there? But I... what if I want to put my stuff there? And I said, well, do you have stuff? No. (laughs) But what if I wanted to? Now, I didn't say this, but deep down inside, what I wanted to say to her was, what did you do with Dorothy and Toto, and where are the flying monkeys? (laughs) You see, we may think, we may think that, that evil comes through people. We may think that that is the issue. We may think that, that the face of evil is, is our ex or is our, our, our intense coach or the Taliban. They may be the face of evil, but listen to this diagnosis by Paul the Apostle as he writes to his friends in Ephesus. He says this, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. So I just want you to stop and understand right now that that is transpiring around us right now. Sixteen children between the ages of 13 and 17 last week, around the time of the Super Bowl in New Jersey, were rescued from sexual slavery. And my thought is, what kind of evil person must you be to arrange that? but understand that Paul says there is this corporate nemesis, this corporate menace behind all of this. He said there are these rulers. that The word is cosmic powers. They are the demonic powers that Jesus defeated when he died on the cross and he rose again. And that's at this moment, they exercise a certain limited authority in temporarily opposing God's purposes. These powers, or the actual word is these potentates, are are those who aspire to have world domination. And he said we have these these spiritual forces of wickedness, which alludes to in the first century to this astrological thing of where where these demonic forces live in certain planets and from these planets they direct the course of your life every day and that that is your destiny and you cannot break out of that destiny and Paul the Apostle says it's not true. Not true at all. So after teaching them in this whole section from where I've just read, after teaching them that if they put on themselves the character of Christ and where that character is They're impenetrable, cannot be penetrated by those spiritual forces. And then he says this. He goes on to say, pray in the spirit when? At all times and when? On every occasion. And stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. He's saying, let the Holy Spirit be the atmosphere in which you pray. And never stop praying because they never stop attacking. And there's a reason we have that combat because in the very beginning, this is what God said to us, said to those who were created. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and govern it. He said, now see, here's the deal. I have created for you this place that is my beauty, that is my love, that is my justice. Everything here is just and right. What I want you to do is I'm giving you authority to expand that garden out so that it overtakes the entire world. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. And as those descendants come from you, they also will have authority and they will govern so that you continue to increase around the world my beauty, my love, my majesty, my justice. We know the story that evil infiltrated and that authority was handed over to that spiritual force. Because there is this law that says to whoever you obey, whoever you listen to becomes your master. And as they obeyed God, God said to them, I'm your master, but I have this authority that is mine, but I'm going to give it to you so that you can do this because on the earth you will accomplish this for me. When they listened to the voice of evil that evil became their master. And he said, you can't have that authority. I want to have that authority so that I can propagate what I want to do. And what he wants to propagate is this. I want to take all of that majesty, all of that that love, all of that justice, all of that beauty, and I want to squeeze every bit of it out of life and look around us today and see what we've got. And so God puts on flesh. His name is Jesus. And he basically says this, man had authority and gave it away man's come back to get that authority and jesus said to his followers let me show you how to begin to use that authority again and he said this then is how you should pray our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come back here again your will be done on this earth again as it is in heaven he said, wherever you are, where there is not justice, wherever you are, where there is not the beauty of God, wherever there are, where you are, there is not that love, wherever that is, you say, God, as you're doing all of that in heaven, please bring it and let it be done right here in Erie, Pennsylvania. And God hands us that authority and says, it's up to us to finish the original directive. And if we won't, he won't. So understand that when we pray, they're not words that get caught up in the air and, and maybe God will hear and maybe God won't. Please understand that whenever we pray, whenever we come to God in the name of Jesus, we are using authority. And it makes a difference. I appreciate the description by John Ortberg who says this, you don't know how many people have been strengthened because you asked God to encourage them. How many people have been healed because you prayed for their bodies? How many spiritual runaways have come home because you prayed for their souls? None of us may ever know the true effects of our prayers, this side of death, but we do know this, history belongs to the intercessors. When we pray, we must understand that our prayers release justice. In the eighth chapter of the book of Revelation, in this setting where there are these scrolls, and the seals are being broken off, the scrolls, and what those scrolls descri- uh, describe is, is human sin and violence in God's judgment. And then we get to this wonderful, wonderful spot in the midst of all this, plus all the heaven echoing with worship to God. Suddenly there's 30 minutes of silence. And some of you moms, a preschooler, say, I'd take that. <laughs> and during those 1,800 seconds... This transpires. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth, and there came the peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake." God notices our prayer perfume. There are some Sunday mornings when I'm here earlier than my wife, and and I'll go back in my office, and I'll walk in, and I'll see no evidence of her being there, but I will smell her. She has this fragrance that I love, this perfume. And as soon as I smell that fragrance, I say, Pam, where are you? And I find her. As I smell that, there is this just reaction within me that says, "Ah, the one that I love, she's here. My covenant partner. This one who, who shares her love with me that we walk life together and the one whom I am pledged to protect. When we pray, God smells the fragrance of his covenant people. And it gives him joy. He smells that fragrance of your prayers and says, ah, there they are. The one I love. Those that, that I have connected to and that, that I have given my life for. Those, those, those that as they pray, I've, I've heard them and, and I'm, it's just, it's a sweet smelling Savor it to my nostrils, and it's it's just, and I want to be with them, and these are the people that I protect. That when they cry out to me, I'm attracted to them. They've come to be with me, and I am there to protect them. I hear their cries. Prayer is a covenant fragrance requisitioning justice. And so the angel takes fire from the altar and throws it down And the description is the very description of what you would see at Mount Sinai if you were the Jews standing there with Moses, the place shaking and lightning and and, and thunder. And you know that God has arrived. He said that when you pray, I know it's you. And I am preparing to release justice in that situation. And when it comes, they will know that God has arrived. And do you find it interesting That the disciples who were Jews, who understood prayer because they've been praying ever since they were children, because if you're Jewish, you pray all day long, you pray before your meals, you pray in the synagogue, you pray before Shabbat, you pray, you pray, you pray, you pray, yet when they see Jesus, they go, teach us to pray. Why? Because when you pray, God shows up and there's justice, and we've never seen that before. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you how you do this. And he teaches them that prayer is a learned practice. And what we need to understand about prayer is that we never master it. We just learn more about it as time goes on. I appreciate the words of Thomas Merton who said, we don't want to be beginners, but let us be convinced of the fact that we will never be anything else but beginners all our life. So when our daughter was early age... One evening, Pam and I snuck into a room and heard her pray for the first time out loud. We weren't there sitting with her, but she was praying, and we heard her, and her prayer was this, Jesus, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy. And God said, good one. When she was in elementary school, her bed was, that she had been using was just not usable any longer. And she said, I need a new bed. And we said, we don't have the money. But if you'll pray, Jesus will hear you. So why don't you pray for a bed and tell Jesus exactly what you want, exactly. So she did. Within a week, somebody had heard that she had prayed for a bed and they showed up and said, here's some money. Go get her a bed. She came home from school, and there was the exact bed she'd prayed for. She said, where'd that come from? said, you prayed, and Jesus supplied it. In high school, her prayers had changed into her wrestling with God about who she should be and how she should live and who he was in her life, and she wrestled with him. A little different than mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy. When she was in college, she was, she was praying for, uh, for what her direction in life should be and that God would supply the funds that she needed to be in school and provide the grants and the scholarships that she would need to accomplish this. Post-graduation, she began to have a concern for the poor, so she prayed for the poor and, and asked God to help her go serve the poor, and so she ended up selling everything she had and she moved to South Africa. And there she began to pray, God, supply my every need here in South Africa, which he did along with a husband, because she had prayed for that too. A lot different than mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy, mommy, daddy. And so now, in about six weeks, she will give birth. And I will tell you this, that she'll learn a lot more about praying. As we pray, it's like unearthing an archaeological dig. That as you begin, you think, this is what I'm looking for. But then as you, as you begin to dig, you say, well, there's more there. There's more there. There's more there. And, and to accomplish that, you have to have time. You have to have patience. And you have to begin to gain the ability to understand that there's more than you, begun, you, that you started with. And you, and you begin to see more underneath what you began with. So there are those moments when I begin to pray and I think I'm praying the right thing and suddenly there's a stirring inside and I say, God, what is this thing? And God's saying, oh, just hang with me. Be patient. Take time because as you do, I'm going to uncover more and more in front of you because my kingdom lies below this and I need you to declare authority into it so you keep working in this spot and don't leave it. To do that, my life has to be a life of prayer. And to learn how to pray, we need a time and we need a place. With so many distractions we have around us and so much noise that fills our lives, we've got to carve out a space where we have time and where we have a place that we can say, God, it's just you and me. I love this passage of Scripture describing Jesus' life. Mark records it and he says this, That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. It's just so great. And the whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. That's just great. Then look what happens. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. If Jesus had to do that, what about us? Jesus not only left us a pattern of prayer and we know it is the lord's prayer but he left us a practice of prayer and so i've just just want to say to you that you need to put this in your calendar if those demonic forces want to attack your family, attack your job, attack your life, attack, attack your community, does not make, doesn't it make sense that we should be using the authority to repel that and declare God's kingdom? And that doesn't happen with just a tag on, Lord, thank you for this food and bless it. And by the way, help me. There be, must be those moments we say, God, I need your authority to come here. And we've got to have those moments and that time and the patience to uncover what needs to be prayed. And so I want to encourage you to calendar it in. Now, listen, it, it's like it's like preparing for a race. If you're not running right now and you decide, I'm going to start running for, I'm going to do a 10K, don't go out tomorrow and try an 8K. You're not going to make it. you got to start with something. In the same way, if you've only been praying a minute a day, you say, okay, I'm going to do this prayer thing, then don't try an hour tomorrow because you'll get to like t- two minutes into it and go, okay, now what else? But at least schedule yourself starting with five, ten minutes and begin to talk to God and begin to find a place. The ancients called it a thin place. If you're like me, you walk into this place and suddenly you feel an awareness of God because this is a thin place. This is the place where you come to find God. This place has been saturated with worship and prayer and a thin place is a place that is very thin between heaven and earth. It's like we're right there. You can create your own. That if you stay in a spot long enough and you're praying there day after day, hour after hour, you've been praying there, the time will come where that is your thin place. The moment you walk in, you go, God, I know you're here. This is the thin place. It could be your chair. It could change for the season. It could be by the wood stove in the winter, which is a good idea. It could be at Presque Isle during the summer on a trail. But you've got to find that thin place where you and God can have conversation. And then, as you begin, we need to learn to unclutter our lives. To be effective in prayer, we need to unclutter Henry Now and the late Henry Nowen once said that when we go to prayer, thoughts jump around in our minds like monkeys jumping around on a banana tree. You ever do that? You start to pray and go, "Okay, oh yeah, wait, oh then that, okay, that, oh by the way, Jesus," and then you back and forth. And I do that. I go, "Okay, I got to call my brother. I got to call my brother. Oh, the oil change. You got to do the oil change. Oh, oh, God, remind me about the oil change." <laughs> so just be practical. It's going to happen. It's not that you're, you're not holy because it, it it just happens. So I just I have a list. And it starts, I go, okay, i got to do the oil change. Do the... Time out, God. And I just write it down. And then what I would try to do, as, as that clutter goes away, I just imagine myself walking into the very place where God's throne is, and I have Jesus with me because I feel so unclean to stand before God. And I walk up to God with Jesus, and I'll go, I'm with him. And now you've got to listen. And I try to do an eye-to-eye with God so that when I'm talking, I'm talking directly to God. Some people do that by pulling up a chair next to them as they pray and say, Jesus, you're right there. But I begin to look at, look at God and, and talk to him. And usually I begin by saying, and, and by the way, God, you know who you are? You are the one who gives me Peace. You're the one who keeps forgiving me for my sins, and you remember me because you've given forgiven a lot of sins. And and you're the one who did this. I mean, you you opened up the red sea. You remember how you did that? And I think he knows. But it's good for me to remember. And then I get honest with him. To be honest in prayer, we need to pray what's on our minds. It's that whole thing of give us this day our daily bread. He, there's sometimes I want to say to God, God, here are the things that are in my mind, and they're not as noble as praying for world peace, but this is what I got. Here's the deal this is what's bugging me right now. And, you, and start there, just talk to Him and be honest. There are times that I'm struggling with, with stuff and I'll say, you know, God, you know that I've, I've messed this up now like four weeks in a row, and, but you said your strength is best seen in weak people. I'm candidate. Here we go. Take care of me. And he says, I'm, I'm here for you. Let's walk through this thing. God, I'm, I'm upset because th- this marriage thing and, and we've been married for 38 years, yet she still doesn't get me. And usually by the end of that, God says, you don't get her either but you got each other. I appreciate the words of Dallas Willard who said, prayer simply dies from efforts to pray about good things that honestly do not matter to us. The way to get meaningful prayer for those Good things is to start by praying for what we are truly interested in. The circle of our interests will inevitably grow in the largeness of God's love. Many people have found prayer impossible because they thought they should only pray for wonderful but remote needs. They actually had little or no interest in or even knowledge of. So here's what I know. I know as we spend enough time with God, our declarations and our prayers become less selfish. They just do. And what happens then is practice prayer becomes powerful intercession. But it has to be a life of prayer. In fact, this intercession is the most commonly commanded prayer in the Scripture. Paul alludes to it when he talks to Timothy, and he says, "says urge then, first of all, that request, prayers, and what? Intercessions and thanksgiving be made for everyone. So this is what I find. I find that when I spend enough time in prayer, and I keep praying, and I keep practicing prayer, and I keep wanting, trying to become better at prayer... And feeling at times that I'm not getting anywhere, but I know that I'm releasing authority, and I'm watching God and trying to be face to face with Him. And sometimes, as we saw in the video, sometimes I do fall asleep, especially if I'm in the bed in the reclined position. That happens. But I, I find that as I spend more time with Him, that even this morning, I awakened at 2:30 and and I just laid there and prayed and dozed back off and woke back up and I prayed some more, and 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 I felt like He answered some of those prayers during our worship time today. So I just keep trying to practice prayer. I find that when I do that, that am I following Jesus? He takes me from my small circle of concern into other people's lives where I can pray, God, they're experiencing hell's worst. Would you please bring in heaven's best? Take care of that. About two weeks ago, uh, Pam and And I and and my mom, who'd been visiting for a while, drove down to Arlington Cemetery because my uncle, who I've expressed to you before, is a prisoner of war in Vietnam, and he was a, a general and a Korean war ace. He died one week after my dad died last October, and so they were burying him two weeks ago in Arlington Cemetery. And so we got to go, and I've never seen so many generals in my life. And it was an amazing, amazing moment we got to meet about 20 or so POWs from Vietnam and to hear their stories. And they talked about Robbie. Robbie was was shot down, and he was in POW for seven and a half years. We met a guy that was shot down three days after robbing, and they met together in what was called New Guy Village there, and and then eventually they both ended up at what they called the Hanoi Hilton, and Robbie was the commanding officer there for most of those years because he had the highest rank. And they spent... Basically seven and a half years together, and the guy said, "I just want to let you know that that Robbie's faith and Robbie's leadership saved my life." So cool to hear. Robbie spent a lot of time under extreme torture because just before he was shot down, uh, his face was on the cover of Time magazine. So immediately the Vietnamese knew who they had, and so they gave him extreme torture. And for three years, he was in solitary confinement to the place that he would contort his body down to look through a, a, a ventilation shaft. He could find a little pinhole, and through the pinhole, he could see a blade of grass and know that there was something outside. It's a way he kept his sanity. I was talking to my mom about Robbie, and she said, you know, what he would do all day long. I said, well, tell me what he told you. And she said, well, most of the time, what he would do is first he would exercise. He would do a massive amount of push-ups, and many days he would run a marathon in place in his cell. And then he would tap out instructions on tap code whenever he could when the guards went around to the other prisoners and give them directives and instructions and encouragement. And then she said basically he prayed 24 hours a day. In fact, when he finally came home after seven and a half years, he felt, he felt like, because he could hear God's voice so clearly because he spent so much time, he felt like God said to him, we will never be this intimate because you've spent 24 hours a day with me. And that's going to change. My love for you won't decrease, but you won't feel as intimate because we won't have 24 hours every day uninterrupted like we've had. And so he'd pray, and so he would pray for his five young sons that he left in Oklahoma City after being shot down. He'd pray for his wife. He'd pray for his mother, my grandmother, and all his siblings as there were 10 kids. He'd pray for the other prisoners and for the ones that are being tortured. He'd intercede for them. And all the time he was doing that, there was this massive amount of intercessors praying for him. His mother prayed every day, hours upon hours for him, and she would say to us, God told me Robbie's coming home alive. She died before she could see it, but it was true. There were thousands of people who wore his POW bracelet and would pray for him every day. My grandmother's pastor in Tulsa, one evening, one night, was asleep and awakened, and there was Robbie standing at the foot of his bed. He had this conversation with Robbie talking, and suddenly Robbie disappeared, and he realized he'd seen a vision. He said, God, why? He said, pray for Robbie. Intercede for that man. I remember being in youth service, I was in high school at that time when he was spending most of his time in in Vietnam in this prisoner of war, and I can remember one day we gathered to pray after a really good service, and I began to pray, and suddenly I began to weep, and I began to sob, and I began to pray what we call praying in the spirit, praying in tongues, And, and I said, God, what am I praying for? He said, keep interceding. You're praying for Robbie right now. Pray for him. Amazing thing about Robbie, after seven and a half years there, he never, ever asked God to take him out because he knew he was supposed to be there. But he did pray, let your kingdom come here. And God did. Why? Because of those intercessors. Because when we intercede for someone, we bring power and we bring presence while we're waiting for the answer. See, the primary discipline of prayer is waiting. We say, God, we know you smell the prayers. We know you know the fragrance. Why aren't you acting yet? Release the bombs of of justice. Throw them down. This reverse thunder. Let it go. I don't know why God waits so long, but I tell you this the whole time He's orchestrating His justice. He is absolutely doing that because that's his promise. Jesus told the story of a woman who nagged a judge until he finally gave her justice. And then Jesus responds by saying this, then the Lord said, learn a lesson from the unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. And we say, okay, Jesus, that's great, but this doesn't seem like quickly. But the word quickly actually means without delay, at the right fixed time, space, or state. That the moment God says, this is the exact moment, I will not delay. This is the moment that justice should come. It's released. And until that time, as you intercede, God is preparing people and place and time for the exact moment. And Jesus says, do you trust me with this? At the height of the Cold War, In the late 70s, a delegation from the Council or the World Council of Churches went to the Soviet Union to investigate the state of the church under an atheist regime. The report came back and they simply said this the church is just a bunch of little old ladies praying. In the early 90s, God hurled justice down from heaven, and the wall came down. And those, those patron saints of atheistic Russia, Stalin and Lenin, their statues lay toppled, ready for the quarry or to be stored. Those little old lady perfume prayers were secret revolutionaries who made Bolsheviks look like kindergartners. Those ladies were veritable Bomb making factories. So, my simple question to you is this Do you believe in the power of prayer? Do you believe Jesus? Because Jesus said this after he talked about the woman who nagged and got justice. He says this But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on earth who have faith? Jesus says, Will I find that you trusted me? You believe me? Do you believe in prayer? that justice will be hurled from heaven. If that's the case, then it's time for us to not just show up here on Sunday morning and say a few words and have some really good time worshiping and and then go home and pray over our meal and once in a while pray. Time is, and for all these habits we've looked at in these last six weeks, it's time to live it out. And I've told you this before, I I don't think the world's going to get any better. But the church can't. That, that no matter what happens around us, the economy or terrorism or whatever, we can become stronger and more secure because we have authority. So I come back to where we began six weeks ago, and on your notes is this encouragement for you to live this out. So number one on that is what part of my life do I want to change and how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. So, what, what do you think needs to change in your life? Number two, what does Jesus teach about that part of my life? What does Jesus say about what I'm dealing with? Number three, what holy habit would train me to think and act like Jesus? I've got to, I've got to do that thing. We, I mean, we've walked through, we've walked through fasting and the discipline of secrecy and solitude and silence and, and serving and studying the scriptures, and now we've talked about prayer. What are those, what are those should I implement now? How many of those should I implement? And when will I begin this discipline? Maybe some of you need the discipline of not putting things off. And who can I recruit to be my coach? Because we're never supposed to walk this alone. we got to find somebody who say, hey, I know you fast. Can you, can you help me do this right? I, I know you study the scriptures. Can you help me? Do this? I know that you have solitude. I know you pray. Teach me. Let me just pray with you. When my dad got engaged to my mom, my grandfather was a tra- traveling evangelist. He, he came to know Jesus at age 14 in Baltimore, and from that point on, he began to preach and pray. And so he came to my dad, he said, are you engaged with my daughter? Yes, then I'm going to teach you how to follow Jesus. And so he made him go on the road with him as he traveled, and they would pray. And my dad said the first time they prayed together, they went into, into the room where they were staying in this house, and my grandpa said, okay, hit your knees, let's pray. And my dad said after five minutes, he was done. And grandpa went for three hours and coached him how to pray. I've learned a lot about prayer from my dad via, from my grandpa via my dad. Find a coach. And then we're going to encourage you to do this. Pick just one holy habit, then begin to practice it from this point on to Easter. Just find one at least and just say, I'm going to do this from now to Easter. Because by that time, you'll make it a holy habit. It'll become a practice for you. And finally, because in following Jesus, we always end up with those who don't know him. Because Jesus did say, I came to seek, seek and save those who are lost, who are just trying to find him. So would you, would you add a friend to our community of faith? And just say, come walk with me. I mean, look around. We have empty seats. And I think God's saying, I have people for those seats. In fact, Jesus said this, the fields are white with harvest. He said, look, there are a lot of people who want to come to know me, and they're ready to know me, and you just need to talk to them, your friends, and just invite them to journey with you, because they'll say yes. So the question is this. When the Son of Man returns... How many will he find on this earth who have faith? How many have said, I trust you, Jesus? How many are truly living it out? Would you stand, please? I'm going to ask you simply to do this. When we began this series, we talked about we've got to try, we've got to try, we've got to try. Try harder, try harder. I'm not going to ask you to try harder. I'm just going to, going to ask you to, to be smart about this and use the disciplines that God has given us and, and start implementing those. And I'll tell you this, if, if it's just prayer. If, if we would just implement prayer in our lives this week, all of us, and believe what we've studied this morning and, and begin to pray over our families and over our jobs and over our situations Knowing we have authority, I think we'd be shocked what the end of the week would look like. So can we do that and pray for each other? This week when you're walking through the week and somebody, somebody's face comes in front of your mind or you think about them, that's usually not just by accident. It's either they owe you money <laughs> or God's Spirit is saying, I need you to just say a prayer for them. It'll make a difference. The world changes when the church prays. And it's time for the world to change. Which means it's time for the church to pray. So, now, as you depart from here, may you have a a deep drive to be alone with God, to be intimate with him. May you find the place that will become your thin place, and may you find on your calendar those moments, and and even you that are so incredibly busy or have children at home, may God provide for you those moments where you can be alone with him. And may you find encouragement that God applauds you every moment you pray. And when the enemy tells you it's not enough, and when the enemy tells you that you're not good enough, may you discover God's great joy in your effort. And may we become not just an audience, but an incredible army. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.